So uh, let me introduce myself. Uh, my name's Ben. Um, I did a science degree here at UWA a few years ago, uh, and I really enjoyed uni. Uh, I thought it was a great time. I liked being in such a beautiful place. I liked hanging out with my friends. I even liked going to the lectures uh, and hearing about all sorts of interesting stuff. Uh, and generally, uni was great, but I had a problem because a typical semester would go something like this. I'd diligently go to all the classes, I'd go to all the lectures, go to all the tutes, all the labs, because, hey, I'm a good student, right? I'm not a slacker. I turn up to that kind of stuff. And then you'd go to the lecture, and the lecturer, usually in the first lecture, would give you a handout and have a list of reading materials and usually have the assignments that were coming up. And I'd think, fantastic, I've got two months until this assignment is due. It's worth like 20%, sometimes even up to 40%. But I've got two months to work on this and I can smash it in two months. And I'll have those marks locked in before I even get to exams. And it'll be easy. I'm going to smash this unit. And so I'd head to the library and I'd look up some uh, journals. I'd get some books out. I'd uh, do lots of photocopying. And then I'd put it all on my desk ready to start. And that's where they'd stay. <laughs> After all, I didn't need to get started on them straight away. You know, I've got two months. There's plenty of time. And then a month would go by and I hadn't done anything on the assignment. And, but that's all right. Like, it's not like I was going to spend a whole two months working on this assignment anyway. A month is plenty of time. I wasn't going to spend every waking hour on it. And besides, there were parties to go to, uh, people to hang out with, stuff to do. And uh, then there'd be a week left. And I'm starting to feel anxious now. And I'm also starting to feel a little bit resentful about this assignment because it's taking up so much of my mental space. And why am I doing this stupid unit anyway? And this is a dumb assignment question. And a few days ago, and then my stomach would start tightening up and I'd get really anxious. And then it was usually like the night before it was due. And um, I think, ah, oh, I've got to get this assignment done, but like I'm way too tired. I can't, I can't <laughs> work at my peak right now. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll set my alarm for five in the morning. I'll go to bed now and I'll get up early. And so I get up at five and I'd work my guts out and I'd smash out this assignment. And then at about five minutes to five, uh, living at St George's College, I'd print it all out and I'd jump on my bike and I'd race down to human biology or psychology and hand it in just in time. Come here, guys. Hand it in just in time. And I go, oh, oh man, why do I do this to myself? Why, why do I do this time and time again? I'm a nervous wreck. I am never going to do that again. Next semester, it's going to be completely different. I'm going to get out the books. I'm going to do the photocopying and I'm going to start early on it. And I'll hand it in nice and calm. I might even hand it in a few days early. <laughs> and I'll just feel relaxed and calm and life will be good again. And then the next semester I do exactly the same thing. <laughs> well, last week I talked about uh, Stephen Pressfield's idea of resistance, that there's this evil malevolent force inside all of us that is determined to destroy us by preventing us from sitting down and doing our work. 
uh, and I introduced Tim Urban's idea of the instant gratification monkey. Uh, so Urban says that in the, inside the mind of all of us, there is a rational decision maker who's a grown-up, an adult, who plans things out, who is sensible about getting stuff done. He's a good guy to have in charge of your brain. But unfortunately, inside our brains, there's also an instant gratification monkey. Uh, this is what I think Pressfield calls the resistance. Uh, and uh, the Bible talks about a person controlled by the instant gratification monkey as the sluggard. Uh, the sluggard who won't go out and do anything because uh, he just wants to stay in bed. And so the uh, instant gratification monkey fights with the rational decision maker. The rational decision maker wants to go get stuff done, uh, but the instant gratification monkey just wants to enjoy himself. Now, to quote Urban, the instant gratification monkey thinks only about the present, ignoring lessons from the past and disregarding the future altogether. And he concerns himself entirely with maximising the ease and pleasure of the current moment. He doesn't understand the rational decision maker any better than the rational decision maker understands him. Why would we continue doing this jog, he thinks, when we could stop and we'd feel better? Why would we practice a musical instrument that's not fun? Why would we ever use a computer for work when the internet is right there waiting for us to play with? The uh, instant gratification monkey thinks that humans are insane. And so... Uh, whenever there's something difficult to do, the instant gratification monkey grabs the wheel and the rational decision maker just feels worse and worse about himself the more and more he fails. And the more the suffering procrastinator whose head he's in berates him. And so with the monkey in charge, the procrastinator finds himself spending a lot of time in a place that Urban calls the dark playground. And uh, if you're a procrastinator you know what the dark playground is. Uh, it's a place with lots of distractions, lots of stuff to do, lots of things that should be fun, but they're not. Because <laughs> it's a place that's plagued with guilt and fear and anxiety. It's a place of misery. It's a place of guilty TV watching, of self-destructive scrolling through Facebook. It's a place of self-loathing and dread. It's a place that is run by the instant gratification monkey. This is, this is ringing bells. This is familiar for people. <laughs> uh, fortunately, though, says Urban, the instant gratification monkey has a mortal enemy. His name is the panic monster. <laughs> now, the panic monster is asleep most of the time. He doesn't do much. But he wakes up when deadlines get close or when there's a danger of public embarrassment or a career disaster or some other scary consequence. He wakes up and he terrifies <laughs> the instant gratification monkey and the rational decision maker. So the instant gratification monkey is terrified uh, and he runs off when the panic monster turns up. And because the instant gratification monkey is gone, the rational decision maker can grab control of the wheel again, and that assignment that you spent two months doing nothing on, you suddenly crank out in the space of a day. 
You get it done, uh, but you pay a price. Firstly, you feel miserable because the dark playground is a horrible place to be and coming face to face with the panic monster is not much better. Uh, secondly, you sell yourself short because you remain an underachiever and you're just kind of filled with self-loathing. Thirdly, you do get the things done that you have to get done, but you won't get done the things that you want to do. And especially with things that have no deadline. Because if you have no deadline, the panic monster doesn't wake up. You know, there's things like, oh, I'd like to learn another language, or you know, I'd really like to read that book, or you know, I really should learn a musical instrument. Things like that. You, you'll never do them if you're a procrastinator because there's never any deadline for them. You get the things done that you have to get done, but you don't get done the things you want to do. The panic monster won't help you. The instant gratification monkey stays in control. So, uh, how can you beat procrastination? Well, there's a bunch of uh, tips and tricks around, uh, some of which I found quite helpful. Uh, one of them is the idea of eating the frog. So Mark Twain, uh, the American author, said that it was his firm conviction that every person should start the day by eating a live frog. Because from that point on, the day could only get better. <laughs> uh, and I think that's actually a helpful principle in terms of getting work done. That uh, there's usually one thing, at least one thing, that you wake up in the morning and you know you should be doing it. Okay? This is the thing I really ought to do, the assignment I need to do, the study I need to do. And if you delay it, if you defer it, uh, it really doesn't matter what else you manage to get done in the day, you still feel rubbish because you didn't get the thing done that you knew you should have done. But if you eat the frog, that horrible squirmy thing that you don't really want to touch, if you eat it first up, the day just gets better and better from that point on. So I found that a really helpful thing, eat the frog. Um, another thing I found helpful is a thing called the Pomodoro Technique. And I've uh, put a link at the bottom of the page there. You can go and have a look at the YouTube clip. It's just a little five-minute clip. But basically, this, was, um, this is an idea that an Italian PhD student came up with. He's doing a PhD in psychology about procrastination and time management and that sort of stuff. And um, he found that what helped him most was to take uh, a little kitchen timer, pomodoro means tomato in Italian, um, and to crank it around to 25 minutes. And whenever he had a task, to do that he didn't want to start. He'd say, I'm just going to do 25 minutes on it. And so he'd set the timer and he'd do 25 minutes uh, and then he'd have a five-minute break. But usually by that point, he'd actually got into the work and quite enjoyed it. And so he'd just crank it around for another 25 minutes and then after that he'd have a five-minute break. And so that's a really helpful way, I've found, uh, of just getting going on stuff. I don't need to go oh, man, I can't start work on this because this is going to take three hours. Say, no, I've got 25 minutes. I can start work on it right now. So it's a way of helping you to eat the frog. The other thing I've found helpful uh, is just to break stuff down into smaller chunks. So instead of thinking about the entire task, like I've got to write this assignment, break it down into smaller things. Um, like I've got to go get this book out of the library, or I've got to photocopy a bit of that, or <clears throat> I've got to make an outline 
and then I've got to um, just sit down and write the introduction for it. And so you break it down into smaller steps. So it stops being one huge thing that's overwhelming and terrifying and becomes lots of small things. Uh, and the other thing I found really helpful is the idea of setting start lines instead of deadlines. So by this date, I will start work on my assignment rather than this is the date that my assignment is due because that way I get going on things. Um, I can start work instead of going, oh, I've still got time, I've still got time. So you set start lines instead of deadlines. So I found all of those have been helpful. Uh, they all have their place, but here is the critical question, I think. Why did the instant gratification monkey and the panic monster show up at all? Uh, why do you delay doing that assignment? And why do you panic when the deadline approaches? Well, in his book, The Now Habit, uh, the psychologist Neil Fiore writes about a patient, Elaine, who came to see him because of her crippling problems with procrastination. He says, a performance anxiety and procrastination had made Elaine's life miserable. Whether it was a piano recital, an exam, a job interview, or a presentation at a meeting, Elaine died a thousand deaths. The mere thought of even a minor error caused her hours, often days of panic and anxiety. Elaine was raised in a family of intense, high-energy, high achievers. Everywhere she looked on her family tree, she saw alphabet soup. MDs, PhDs, MBAs, JDs, MSWs and MAs, all from the best schools. She felt as if she worked in a fishbowl, a thousand eyes critically examining and judging her every move. So the question is, why did Elaine's instant gratification monkey grab control of the wheel? And what Fiore is suggesting is that it comes from feeling like you're judged on the basis of your, of your achievements. And that's an incredibly stressful place to be because if I fail this assignment, it doesn't just mean I fail the assignment, it means I'm a crap person. If people don't think I'm attractive, then I'm worthless. If I don't get into med, my family will be disappointed with me. They'll think that I'm a failure. That is an incredibly stressful place to be. And so you've got to do something to relieve the anxiety. So you spend your time in the dark playground, trying to distract yourself from all these terrifying things, all these things you're supposed to be working on that have the potential to destroy your value as a person. Uh, but it's more than that. So Fiore writes, in such a predicament, procrastination can serve as a delaying action and as a way of getting past your perfectionism. If you delay starting your work, you cannot do your best. And so any criticism will not be a judgment of the real you or your best effort. If you delay on making a decision, the decision will be made for you and you will not have to take responsibility if something goes wrong. I reckon this is worth thinking about. So what he's saying, in other words, is that my value as a person is tied up with how well I do on this particular task. But what if I don't do a good job? People will think I'm rubbish. That's scary. It makes me anxious. So I try to distract myself from that anxiety by doing other stuff 
by watching TV or surfing the web or whatever it is. Until I get to the point where if I don't start now, I won't be able to get it done at all. And if that happens, people will really think I'm a crap person. And so I panic, I freak out, and I crank it out over, you know, in very little time. And I don't get a very good mark for it, but that's okay, because now I've got an excuse. I didn't have enough time. This is not a true reflection of me and my value and ability. This is just, you know, the inevitable low-quality work that comes from someone who just doesn't have enough time to do it. It's not my fault. It's not a reflection of me. If I had more time, if I'd started earlier, I could have done a much better job and you would have seen how good I really am. So procrastination, both the instant gratification monkey and the panic monster, comes from a deep-seated belief that my value comes from my achievements. And the implication of that is that you can't just deal with procrastination simply through techniques and tips and tricks. You can have all the life hacks in the world, but if you don't deal with the fundamental belief, then you'll still procrastinate. And I think to some extent, all of us have that belief. Deep down, all of us tend to think that our value comes from our achievements. And most of us have the sneaking suspicion that we're not good enough. Fiore writes, when I first asked Elaine about her sense of innate worth, she was dumbfounded. How can worth be innate, she asked. Where will it come from if it doesn't come from what I do? And yet at the same time, we have an intuition that there's something not quite right about that. When I asked Elaine about those less capable than herself, she had to admit that they had worth and deserved respect in spite of their inability to perform as well as she did. But it was difficult to apply a similar level of generosity to herself. So we kind of had this sense that humans do have innate value, that it doesn't matter how much you earn or what colour you are or what sex you are, you have innate value. But where does it come from? And why do we struggle to apply that to ourselves? Well, I think uh, this is where the Bible has some really useful wisdom, um, some really helpful things to say to us. Firstly, uh, it's helpful because it affirms that our value doesn't come from our achievements. Our value is innate. Uh, where does it come from? Well, this is what it says in the very first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said... Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So yes, we are made to do stuff. We are made to rule over the earth, to care for it under God. But that isn't where our fundamental value comes from. Our fundamental value comes from the fact that God made us all, men and women alike, in his image. That is where our value comes from. It's not about your appearance. 
It's not about whether you're black or white, male or female, dumb or smart, uh, whether you are overweight or ripped, whether you're able-bodied or disabled. It doesn't matter. Uh, our value is the same because we're all equally made in the image of God. Now, I think this is something that our society really struggles with. Um, and you see it in all sorts of situations that if I am not allowed to do the same thing as someone else, I'm less valuable. But that is not the Bible's view of things. Our value comes from being made in the image of God. That idea of innate value, that you won't get that just by drifting through life. You won't get it from atheism because you don't have any innate value in atheism. You're just an accident, random stuff that happened. Buddhism won't give it to you because the idea that there's any value at all is just an illusion. Hinduism, with its caste system and uh, all that sort of setup, that won't give you an idea of innate value. Uh, you don't have it. Even Islam, although it believes in one God, treats unbelievers as less valuable than believers. Why? Well, because in Islam, they don't believe that people are made in the image of God. But the Bible does. It tells us that we're all valuable, that we're equally valuable, not because of what we do or don't achieve, but because of who we are. Not an animal, not an illusion, not an untouchable, but someone made in the image of God. And that's incredibly important, not just for procrastination, but for life. Uh, and yet most of us struggle to believe it about ourselves. We struggle to believe that we are valuable just in and of ourselves, regardless of what we do. Why is that? Well, uh, the Bible says it's because we've all turned our backs on God, that we've decided to do our own thing, we've gone our own way, and with God out of the picture, well, then there's no one, there's no sort of thing to get my value from other than what I do. My value depends on me. And that is a crippling place to be. Because either I think that I'm perfect, I've achieved well enough, and so I become arrogant and self-righteous and I look down on all the other plebs who haven't done as well as I have, or... I recognise that I'm not what I'm supposed to be. I'm not good enough. And I become anxious and I'm terrified that my failure will be exposed and my sense of self will just come crashing down. So creating your own value is a crushing burden. Everything you do sort of reflects your value. It becomes an attempt to establish your worth. The next assignment, the next exam, the next relationship, even the next conversation could burst your bubble. It could bring it all crashing down. And no wonder people get anxious. No wonder we get anxious and try to distract ourselves. No wonder we run off to the dark playground whenever something that threatens our sense of self comes along. Fiore writes, to avoid procrastination, Elaine would need to make a contract with herself that whenever she made a mistake, she would remind herself of her worth, quickly forgive herself for not being perfect, and rapidly start over. But how can we do that? I think left to ourselves, we actually can't. We really struggle to do it. Because cut off from God, we're cut off from our source of value. 
And the only thing left is our performance. But our performance isn't good enough. It's not good enough for God. It's not even good enough for ourselves most of the time. So how can we reconnect with God? How can we re-establish this sense of value? How can we experience his forgiveness and start over? Not by our own efforts. We always come up short. But have a listen to what Jesus of Nazareth said when he was surrounded by a group of people who were trying to prove themselves by their efforts. He said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see what he's saying? He's saying, stop trying to establish your worth, your value, your significance before God by what you do, and come to me. Let Jesus be in charge of your life and he will do what you can't do. He will bring you God's forgiveness. He will show you your value, not based on what you do, but on what he's done by his death on the cross. Because we aren't good enough. We do deserve God's punishment for turning our backs on him. But Jesus actually took the punishment that we deserve. So if you let him be in charge, if you accept his sacrifice for your failures, then you can enjoy God's forgiveness. You can know God as your father who loves you regardless of your achievements. That's what a good father does, doesn't it? doesn't depend on your achievements. He still loves you. And you can enjoy the freedom that comes from not having to prove yourself. Yes, it does involve taking Jesus's yoke upon you, letting him be in control of your life. But like he says, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Like following Jesus, your life is, uh, you're set free from that burden of having to prove yourself. Uh, it's much easier to have Jesus in charge. That's real freedom. So let me sum this talk up uh, and then we can have some questions. So I think most of us, in fact, I suspect all of us, uh, have a problem with procrastination at some level. And that sucks. Uh, procrastination can make your life miserable. But... I think it's actually much more serious than we first think because the procrastination is just symptomatic of a deeper problem that we've all turned our backs on God and we've ended up having to prove our own value by our achievements. And that is a really cripplingly cruel place to be. It makes life terribly anxious. But the Bible is saying that in reality, our value doesn't depend on ourselves. It actually comes from being made in the image of God and that we can be reconnected to that God who we've turned our back on and enjoy his forgiveness, enjoy being able to start over through Jesus who took the punishment that we deserve in our place. So yeah, there are tips and tricks, uh, techniques that will help you with procrastination, but on their own, they actually won't solve the problem. They won't enable you to really beat it because the only way to really beat procrastination is to find your value in God, not in your achievements, to take the pressure off 
So you don't get the anxiety of having to establish your value, of having to prove yourself through every assignment and exam and conversation and relationship. Only that will actually free you up from your anxiety so that you don't need the instant gratification monkey to distract you from it. You don't need to wait for the panic monster to show up to do something. You can just get ahead, get on and do it. Because you know that whether you succeed or fail, that's not where your value comes from. Your value is innate. It comes from being made in the image of God and what Jesus has done for you. So, questions? I have a, a general statement as a personal yeah. question. Mm. I suppose the idea of um, having value in uh, get, getting your value from being, you know, or it, it, letting God in 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 with you mm. is more so an expression of um, basically feeling loved without the need for achievement or any mm. sort of extra value added to it. Yes, right? yes, exactly. So I suppose. Um, being feeling the, the the feeling of love and the, and the gratitude without any sort of extras any is sort of um, a big aspect of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, and you do get glimpses of that um, in normal life. Like that's kind of what parents are supposed to be like, and ideally friends and that kind of thing. The problem with those things is that although they're an echo of that kind of unconditional love, if you like, that God shows. Um, those sources of love are actually really fragile Um, because what if your friends stop loving you (laughs) or what if your parents die and you lose that source of unconditional love Um, with God you don't he's always there he's unkillable Um, he doesn't uh, he doesn't change his mind about you yeah but yeah you're right it's about love Mm. Um, I get how that helps if your procrastination is linked to the anxiety of the task, and mm-hmm. if you see a value in it. Mm-hmm. But what if you're procrastinating on, like, I don't know, doing the dishes because it's boring and <laughs> you don't want to do it? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's helpful. Um, yeah. I don't know. Anyone got any thoughts on that? I think that's just. <laughs> oh no, I definitely, it's definitely about self worth. <laughs> what I found helpful with that precise problem uh, is breaking it down into smaller steps and just starting. So um, if I've got, say, I've got dishes stacked up in the drainer from a previous wash, I've got stuff that needs to be done, I don't think to myself, I've got to clear all this out, I've got to do those dishes, I've got to put them in the drainer, I've got to dry them. I just think, just do the next thing. And that's all I do. So if the drainer's full, I dry it and empty it. And that's it. Um, And then next time, when I come back, all I need to do is I need to wash them and stick them in the drainer. I don't bother drying them. So I just do little bits at a time. Um, rather than thinking, oh my goodness, this is overwhelming, it'll take me 
and how to get through all this. I go, no, nah, I can just, I can go and put them back on the shelves and that'll take me five minutes. Yeah. I find with um, little things like that, building habit is really important. Mm. If, you, if you start to just do it and, I mean, I know it sounds kind of, <laughs> right, that's where, that's where you're stuck at, just doing it. But I suppose if you do it and you, you do it more often and you do it more often, eventually you do it subconsciously and you don't even really have to think about it anymore. Yeah, yeah, let's be honest, doing the dishes is actually doing my thesis. Yeah, I think I think the same principles apply. It's just harder to break that down into small tasks than something like doing the dishes, but it's literally you can see what you have to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think um if you've got it down into smaller bits like chapters and that kind of stuff, then just starting on it. Forget about the quality of your work. That's irrelevant. <laughs> um, it really is actually to getting stuff done. Just start on it. So um, Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art. So he's a novelist. Um, yeah, like he said, it's the, the hard thing about being a writer is not the writing, it's the sitting down to write. And resistance will do everything in its power to prevent you from sitting down to start work um, and you've you've got to create the habit so you've just got to like if you were at the talk last week I think resistance that Pressfield's talking about is essentially sin like I think what he's he's not a Christian he's got really <laughs> weird sort of weird views he prays to greco-roman gods and stuff like that but i think he's he's describing a sort of uh, a secular understanding of sin that uh, it wants to wreck our lives by preventing us from doing what we know we ought to do um so he he would say um like in his book he talks about what he does each day so he's has his breakfast, gets his coffee, he sits down at his desk uh, and he starts writing. And, you know, like an hour into it, he's really, he's really moving, he's going well, um, and he does whatever it is, three or four hours of writing in the morning and then saves it, shuts it down, doesn't even think about, was it any good? That's irrelevant. <laughs> um, the critical thing is to keep going, to keep writing, yeah, and just doing it day after day after day. Yeah. A, a lot of writers, um, this is actually brought up in a unit that I'm doing at the moment called Comms uh, 1901, and um, they suggested that um, a lot of writers tend to think, as you were basically saying, is that the writing part is really not... The, the, the time consuming part is for actually you know re revising the work and then perfecting it so to speak and making it better um, I've at times you know written in my journal spent like half an hour just blotting down words going back and thinking wow what was I writing there sort of thing and then sort of changing it up and you know thinking about it and making it a bit better so yeah so um, Pressfield quotes uh, w. Somerset Maugham, who is uh, an English novelist, uh, someone asked him, do you write on a schedule or do you wait until inspiration strikes? 
He says, I wait until inspiration strikes, but fortunately it strikes at 9am every morning. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's a professional. He sits down to write. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, there are other good bits of advice, uh, things like there's no such thing as good writing, there's only good rewriting. Um, and I think that's true, actually. Um, Stephen King um, says that when he finishes a novel, he sticks it in a drawer for six months and locks it um, because he's incapable of judging whether it's a good book or not at the time. He's too invested in it. You can't tell whether your writing's any good at the time. Um, all you do is you, <laughs> you spend your life writing a sentence and then deleting it and then writing it again and going, no, that's no good, and deleting it again. So forget about that. Just keep going come back and edit it later. What do you ever say for just like the lazy person that like it's not necessarily doing anything wrong or doing anything right, it's just doing nothing? Like <laughs> like sleep. Like <laughs> Yeah, well <laughs> Yeah. I got a few thoughts on that. Um one is I think we're in a society that values busyness. But busyness is not the same as productivity. Um, we'll probably talk about this a bit more next week. But, um, yeah, you should feel free to go if you need to get to another class. Um, but... I myself feel pressured to be very productive mm. like, all the time. Like, I'm not doing anything, as, you know, the whole, basically, the whole lecture was about. Yeah. Is that you feel like, you know, you're worthless because you're just sitting around doing nothing. Yeah. Um, I suppose it's just... And it's tough to get past that. It is. Yeah. Because society puts such a value on being productive and doing those things and mm. not being lazy, so to speak. Yeah. But, like, more like procrastination by, like, sleeping. Or sleep. Like, as in, like, you know... Yeah, everyone loves sleep. Yeah. <laughs> but, like... So, don't really... It may be that you just need that much sleep. No. And you should just... <laughs> you should just try and do less in your life. <laughs> so, it's like... Like it's, it seems to me that uni students are significantly busier now than they were 10 years ago. But I'm not sure that they're actually achieving anything more. They're just rushing around doing more stuff. Um, yeah, no worries. Pleasure. Um, so maybe just do less. Be a bit more generous to yourself. Like your value doesn't come from how much you do. Like instead of the dark playground, it's the dark bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so, uh, the other thing is, well, maybe you are being lazy. I am. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I know, but it's like, I feel like, what does the Bible have to say to, like, lazy people? Oh, well, you read Proverbs. <laughs> it's got lots to, lots to say about the sluggard. Um, it's about, sort of, it's about thinking ahead and going, what do I actually need to get done? What do I want to get done? What do I need to do in order for those things to happen? Um, and, you know, set your alarm and mm -hmm. get up. And <laughs> but it's like, yeah. but why should I have to? <laughs> so bad. I have problems. I know. I have problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
That was like um, on the bottom of the slides with the monkey. It was like wait, but why? Dot com. Yeah, yeah. Like isn't that like? Ah, yeah. So I've I've given you some resources there that you can uh, go and have a look at as well. Um, if you want to procrastinate, watch the Pomodoro one. It's only five minutes. You can watch it on YouTube while you should be doing something else. There's also a really good TED talk with the procrastination monkey and the panic monster. Yes, yes, there is. Yeah, you find that through his website. But, yeah, it is good fun. Yeah. All right, we should finish. I uh, hope that's helpful to you in some way. And uh, we'll be back here next week for uh, getting things done. We'll talk about why that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Cheers.